Hi, I'm Joel Garcia, and I'm on my way to go see the movie Morbius. Later on in today's show, we'll talk about that. But before we get to that, welcome to the Pop Culture Shuffle. On today's show, I have a few things to talk about. First up, we're taking a look at the first episode of Marvel Studios' latest TV show, Moon Knight. Then, we talk about Morbius. First, I set up my thoughts on the film, talk about it, and then wrap it all up with my thoughts on the very controversial ending. And finally, we take a look at some Iron Man fan fiction. But first, let's talk about Moon Knight. It's been a while, but Marvel has come out with yet another TV show. Now, it's been a while, of course, since Hawkeye, and in between that time, we've had at least one Spider-Man movie, and coincidentally this week, Morbius. So, with that said, what is there to say about Moon Knight? Well, I'll just start off by saying that before watching this episode, I had no idea who the hell Moon Knight was. At best, I was aware of only two things. He was one, apparently Marvel's answer to Batman, and two, the meme. The best way to describe it is just to look up a bunch of captions you see with Moon Knight looking for Dracula. And it's really funny because apparently it's a fake, but it's a really funny fake. It's basically a two-panel story in which the first panel features Moon Knight walking down what appears to be a church and saying, and I quote, I know you're here, Dracula, you big Nerd, where's my damn money? And then there's a second panel which shows him talking to Captain America and Spider-Man, which is even funnier. In which, and I'm just gonna do the quote here again, Captain America. Someone's kicking the system, but who? Moon Knight? Where's my damn money? Then Spider-Man says, No one here owes you money, you drunk crazy ass. Dracula is even the Avenger, so stop calling here. And then Moon Knight says, Wait. Dracula isn't an Avenger? That line f- It's a really funny meme, and to me, the biggest thing I knew Moon Knight from. I know he did show up at least in one animated series over on Ultimate Spider-Man. So other than that, and because I never watched the show, I knew nothing about Moon Knight. So I was curious to see what they would do with the character. This show also had something different in mind compared to the other shows. Whereas shows like WandaVision, Hawkeye, and even What If, all primarily originated from their films, Moon Knight has never appeared in any of the films. So it had to try something new when it came to introducing the character. Because here, you had to quickly introduce the character, and then have him throw into the world of superheroes. Unlike the other shows in which, if you're seeing the show, you probably know who these characters are. So what is Moon Knight about anyways? Well, the story centers around a guy named Stephen Grant, who at first is just your average guy who works at a museum, but not as a tour guide, as the gift shop guy. He also struggles a lot with sleeping, because he has to chain his leg down, put tape on the door, and make sure that he doesn't go out. Then one day, he notices something odd. He's in the middle of somewhere else, and it has to do with a mysterious scarab. He meets a guy named Arthur Harrow, who apparently leads this group of people and mercenaries who all for some reason want the scarab. 
Whenever they try to get the scarab from Steven, something happens and the next thing Steven knows, he somehow managed to kill them all. He also begins to hear voices, leading down to what could possibly be his entrance into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now like I said, I knew nothing about the character, so I came to this show with no information about the character. To some that might sound a bit ridiculous, but to me it gave me a fresh look at the show. Based on the first episode, it's pretty good. The first half of the episode was a little confusing, especially since I thought the idea of him chaining himself to the bed and putting tape on the door would have come back, but it might still later on. Something I did not expect from this show was the horror element. Now it isn't a straight up horror movie, that's, that's far from the truth. So if you're coming to this show thinking, oh it's going to be a horror movie, no it's not. But strangely there are jump scares, and I have to admit I was caught off guard by a few of them. The atmosphere in the episode is very foreboding, because you don't know what's going to happen next, and Steven for the most part doesn't know either, because for one moment, we're seeing him just trying to stay awake, only to then suddenly be thrown to the hills that are alive at the sound of music place. They don't specify where, it just looked like that. The thing that really caught me off guard as well was how he reacted to, well, apparently killing everyone around him. Because this mysterious voice in his head keeps telling him, don't give away the scarab, so anytime anyone tries to pull it off him by force, his eyes flicker, and then the next thing you know, he's apparently killed someone. It still has that marble charm, of course, especially this entire sequence where it's a car chase with whams wake me up before you go-go, which is appropriate. Now another thing that I really liked was seeing how apparently, despite the fact he's apparently British, he's not. Because he has a flip phone and someone else calls him on that number and says he's someone else named Mark. For the most part, you might think at first, oh, it's just he's trying to stay awake or he's trying to go to sleep and the problem is that he keeps imagining other things, but no, it turns out that apparently somebody else is in his mind. And it's either the mysterious force that keeps calling him an idiot or this other person who talks him through the mirror saying, let me help you. In a way, it's interesting because I don't think Marble's ever explored an idea of dissociative identity disorder. Man, not the way of saying, oh, a superhero in personal identity. No, as in, there are literally two people inside this man's brain. Maybe three. I really don't know what else to say about this show without giving a lot away. I especially feel that maybe I spoiled a bit too much already. It's an intense show full of twists, horror, and even a jump scare or two. Even if you're not a fan of Marvel, you should really check this show out, because for the most part, there are no superheroic elements in this episode. Now eventually something might show up, especially because the bulk of this episode took place in England, where we already know at least maybe one or two characters from, say, Eternals are there. Well, at least the ones that weren't taken away by the guy in the finale. Not spoiling which one, in case you haven't seen it. Moon Knight is a very unique new show from Marvel Studios. And then she fills in that horror niche that Marvel has been lacking when it comes to their films. At least the ones produced by Marvel Studios, not counting, say, Venom or Morbius. So if you wanted to see Marvel take on, say, the horror genre, well, at least before Doctor Strange does that in some bizarre form or another, Moon Knight is worth a watch, especially if you're a fan of either Oscar Isaac or Ethan Hawke, who just are, at least in this first episode, really good. 
Marvel Studios Moon Knight streams Wednesdays on Disney Plus. So in addition to Marvel Studios Moon Knight, there is technically another Marvel production out, but not by Marvel Studios. That would be Morbius. Now just to clarify for people who don't know if this is a Marvel production or not, Morbius is yet another film produced by Sony using what little rights they have involving Spider-Man. Basically how it works is that Sony has, since the late 90s, controlled the license to make Spider-Man movies which also include his set of characters. For the most part, Sony has used a lot of them for their films, but then again, there are also other characters they wanted to make spin-off films about. You probably heard of the infamous leak from Sony, which in addition to featuring a lot of ideas that were never made, such as the Popeye film by Gendy Tartakovsky, or the Super Mario film produced, ironically enough, by Sony, but one of the many ideas was, the list of Spider-Man films that were rejected or dropped. One of which included a prequel film centering around Aunt May. As for Morbius, he's one of the more obscure Spider-Man villains. And by obscure I mean, he's only shown up in two other productions outside of the comics. Those two being, well, animated series. When it comes to his animated appearances, the only two times he's shown up have been in the 90s animated series and Ultimate Spider-Man. Now, I don't know how he showed up in Ultimate Spider-Man, but I am aware of the 90s series. Over on that show, well, let's just say he was heavily censored. For a character whose entire concept is being a literal vampire, Let's just say censorship forced him into being a different kind of vampire. I don't want to deviate so far, but basically when Spider-Man the anime series aired on Fox, the network wanted the show to be heavily censored so they could air it in syndication worldwide. Because their other two hits at the time, Batman the anime series and the 90s X-Men, were receiving heavy criticism due to their dark and violent tone. So with Spider-Man, they made a lot of weird decisions. For example, characters on the show could not use the word die. In a way that makes sense for a kid's show, but then you had the weirder choices like say, oh, they can't use guns. And not just the villains, the police. So for some reason, the police have lasers. In the 90s. When it came to Morbius, the decision was a bit awkward. The entire idea of Morbius is that he's a vampire, and like any vampire, they suck blood through their teeth. But because this is a show where you can't have that happen, because again, blood is a no-no, the people working on this show decided to go in a different route. Instead of being able to suck people's blood, Morbius absorbed plasma through his fingers. Essentially, he just grabs a guy's face, and then he sucks all the plasma out. That's pretty much all I know about Morbius. I know as much about Morbius as a Moon Knight, and it's not that I intentionally ignore these characters, it's just that when it comes to superheroes and supervillains, I don't tend to think of those characters. When I think of Spider-Man villains, I think Doc Ogg, Venom, the Lizard, Sandman, I don't think of Morbius. 
And even then, the character's always been in this weird limbo where he's either a Blade villain, a Spider-Man villain, or an anti-hero. With all of that to consider, we now have the other question. What about the movie? Now, as I record this, it is the night before I'm going to see the film, and all I know about it is how it involves Jared Leto, Matt Smith, and apparently Michael Keaton. The only other thing I will say about Morbius is that I have really low expectations for Jared Leto. Oh, sure, he has an Academy Award, but when it comes to comic book adaptations, he's been bad at it. His portrayal of the Joker has been one of the worst I've seen in a long time. I really didn't like him in Suicide Squad, and I especially didn't like him in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Then again, I will give Leto the benefit of the doubt. After all, Ryan Reynolds went from being Green Lantern to Deadpool, and that turned out well for him. So maybe, just maybe, Leto can go from being a really bad Joker to a great Morbius. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I will have seen the movie Morbius, and I will give you my review of it. So, after I recorded that segment last night, I eventually went to see Morbius. And well, it was fucking awful. I honestly don't know what else I can say aside from that, but we're gonna try. Morbius centers around the character of Dr. Michael Morbius, played by Jared Leto, in which he's trying to find a cure for a disability, as well as that of his friend Milo, who have been childhood friends since they were at an orphanage. So he gets all of these bats with the idea that apparently he wants to find a cure to some illness with these bats. And then after doing some suspicious illegal activities in international waters, he winds up getting the powers of a bat, essentially becoming a vampire. Here's the first problem. The film starts off with an in-media rest sequence, which is fine, But then all of a sudden, we go from that all the way back to 25 years ago to introduce Milo and Morbius being friends. The problem is that this is where the story begins to fall apart. From the second scene. Unless you pay very close attention, this movie will become immediately hard to follow. Not say confusing as Tenet, but it's on that level. It's one of those films in which you really need to understand what the hell is going on, because at first I thought, based on the trailers, that the moment in which Morbius is attacked by all those bats, I thought that was the moment he became the vampire. But no, it turns out, no, that's just a way to capture a bunch of bats and then do fuck all with them. The bats are only used for just, oh, we need one bat and that's it. The pacing is also an issue because it keeps speeding up through a lot of scenes in the vain attempt to just simply get to the action in a film that's already two hours long. And at some points it felt shorter than that. It's one of those films that, well I hate to say it, I was looking at my watch throughout the entirety of it. The story wants to have a really tight pace in the same way as the Benham films. But the difference is that, at least with the Benham films, there is a narrative there and it doesn't feel forced or rushed. Oh sure, the last Benham film, Let There Be Carnage, was short and unusually abrupt, but at least you could understand what was going on. Not so much with Morbius, where we barely get any time to establish a setting. We barely get to say, oh hi, and then immediately head to the next scene. 
I think the best way to describe this is if, say, you were reading a book. But instead of, say, reading every chapter at a decent pace, trying to understand as much of the information in the book, no, you just skim every chapter, find the good points, and then just give up and go to the ending. And then say, I read the book. The special effects in this film were atrocious. And that's sad because I actually liked at least one effect in this film. Something that's been shown frequently in the trailers. The special effect I'm referring to, of course, is whenever Morbius tries to see everything around him. It's kind of Spidey sense, per se. In which, like a bat, he senses everything around him. And it comes in this really smoky effect. And whenever he does some kind of movement, like say, throw a ball around a room, it leaves lines. As of, say, flight lines, you see lines everywhere of just all the movement. That was a really good effect, but then it was bogged down by the overabundance of slow motion. I don't think I've seen this much slow motion in a superhero film since Zack Snyder's Justice League. But you know what? At least it made sense in that film. But here, it just felt like they wanted to slow down to show you, oh look how they're fighting each other. Except it comes across more like I'm watching The Matrix. And then the whole idea of Milo suddenly becoming a vampire when we've never even seen him inject himself with the bile. We have a scene in which Michael leaves those two little biles with the idea being that, oh, eventually something will happen that someone will get their powers. But no, instead it's just, please Michael, you must help me, and the next scene, I have powers. Like we missed a scene in which, you know, he got the powers? That's one of the other bigger flaws I have with this film, but let's just get straight to the acting. Academy Award winner Jared Leto sucks as Morbius. I think we managed to find the one guy who cannot act in either a DC or a Marvel film. Leto's take on Morbius is really bland. Almost like he didn't know what to do with the character, so they just told him, be a vampire. So there are moments in which he's just, oh, so somber and sad. But then others in which he's freaking out and terrified, like, help me, I need blood. It also doesn't help that his dialogue is just cringeworthy. I think the one that made me roll my eyes a lot was a line in which he said, you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. Which is one, childish, and two, a really random reference to The Incredible Hulk. In a film that has nothing to do with The Incredible Hulk. Now I get that maybe say, oh, with Morbius, he's a character that's barely been in anything, so Leto had a bit more of an opening to create his own interpretation of the character. So in this case, making him say, oh, just a moody doctor, felt really bad. I have no clue what he was going for, and I would say he was trying to go for something between Emo and the guy from The Good Doctor, but... The guy from The Good Doctor, and I'm sorry, I forgot his name right now, at least can act. I think it's also the guy from Base Motel, but I, I don't know. I, just, I forgot his name, sorry. Freddie Highmore? The Academy Award-winning actor was terrible, but his co-star, who has not won an Academy Award yet, was great. And by that I mean Matt Smith. Now for some of you, you might know Matt Smith from either The Doctor, where he played the 11th incarnation of the character, or maybe his take on Prince Philip from the first two seasons of Netflix's The Crown. I mostly know him from Doctor Who, but I've never seen an episode, but I'm aware of his character. And I will say this 
He's great. He was too good for this film. And every single scene he shows up in, he steals the movie. You just want to see more of this guy. Just play a bad guy. And unfortunately, I think that's the problem. In the movie in which we're focusing on another bad guy, we're focusing on the original character bad guy. It's really upsetting to me because I had low expectations for Morbius. I was expecting to see something like Benham. Before seeing Benham, I was doubtful about Tom Hardy. I was doubtful that we could make a good Benham movie. But you know what? It turned out to be great. The problem with this film is how it doesn't know what it wants to be. It wants to be Benham, but not so goofy. It wants to be a vampire movie, but without vampires. And even then, as a vampire, he barely gets to do anything vampire-esque. I mean, hell, Matt Smith's character is far more of a vampire. Because with Morbius, you see him whenever he tries to be a vampire, and it's all, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to be a vampire. It's just really upsetting to see Leto's performance in this film, because I actually like Jared Leto. I'm a huge fan of 30 Seconds to Mars. I have some of their albums on Spotify. So it's really upsetting to see him in these films in which you want him to give a good performance, but he just can't. There's also the case of the trailer. Now, if you've seen the trailer, you saw a lot of things in there that you would think were happening in the movie. Without giving a lot away, let's just say that ending joke line in which says, I am Benham, only half of that scene happens. And that snippet with Michael Keaton? Yeah, that doesn't happen. We're going to take another short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about that ending. Now let's talk about that ending. It's really unfortunate that the only likable character in this film was killed off. After Michael kills Milo, everything just feels like an abrupt end. Almost like they didn't know how to end the movie. Because he sees the cops, he flies off with all his bats, and then suddenly we see that Martin is now alive again, I think. And then the movie just stops. But wait, there's more. We need to talk about that MCU connection. Now, without giving a lot away for Spider-Man No Way Home, and you probably already construed it based on the Doctor Strange trailer, something in that film happens which leads to the multiverse falling apart. Now, in No Way Home, characters from the past Spider-Man films, such as Doc Ock, Green Goblin, and even the other Spider-Men, show up in the MCU. Now, in that film, most of that was resolved. But in this film, the idea is left that apparently Adrian Toomes, aka the Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming, played by Michael Batman Keaton, was somehow left behind in the world of Morbius slash Venom. It's a scene that really doesn't make any sense. Morbius was originally supposed to come out before Spider-Man No Way Home, with the implication being that the events that were going to happen in that film and Venom to be Carnage would have somehow led Adrian Toomes to be in, well, the Morbius Venom universe. In fact, the trailer for it shows that they have some kind of conversation with the police, with the idea being that the two were being arrested at the same time. But no, as it turns out, 
because he's not technically a criminal in this other universe, where he just landed in a prison cell, he's let go. And that's where the reshoot comes in. To me, it's only noticeable because, well, back in November, Keaton showed up on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I don't recall if he was promoting, but they briefly talked about Spider-Man, Batman, and before the interview ended, Keaton said, oh, I'm going to shoot something for Spider-Man tomorrow. Now at the time, the idea was, oh, he's probably going to appear in No Way Home. Especially because that film already had a huge number of villains, and people were assuming, oh, the Sinister Six are showing up. Now technically, there were six villains in that film, but they never exactly teamed up. Now of course, No Way Home came and went, and he was neither seen or mentioned. But then we find out that apparently, he winds up in the other universe, and he's just there. Now I'm just gonna have to spoil this part for No Way Home, but the characters at the end of the film go back to their universes. Tombs does not. He just stays in the universe. And then the film ends with him suddenly getting an exact replica of the same costume he wore in the MCU. That really doesn't make any sense, because, if I recall correctly, his costume in the MCU was built off Chitauri technology. So how the hell did he get an exact replica of the costume he wore in the first film is up to anyone's guess. Now, like with Benham Let There Be Carnage, the film ends with their one acknowledgement of Spider-Man. With Adrian pointing out, this is Spider-Man's fault. That moment really doesn't make any sense, especially for Adrian. As far as anyone knows, he was just in jail, but was then magically teleported to another jail. Sure, he might have seen the glowing effect he had while traveling to another world, but that's pretty much it. We don't know if he found out what happened at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. We don't know if he knew Peter's identity as Spider-Man. We don't know if he met the other villains. We don't know any of that. He's just there. I feel the only reason that Bolter is now in the other universe is because the MCU probably has no plans for the character, so they're just fine with him being stuck over there. If I were to take a wild guess, I think that maybe this would have made more sense if the movie had come out before No Way Home. In Let There Be Carnage, the film ends with a scene in which Eddie and Venom travel to the MCU. Presumably in Morbius, we would have seen that happen with Adrian, and then somehow in the process of leaving the jail, he meets Michael. At least that's what I'm assuming based on the trailer. If there's anything else to say about Morbius, it really shows how Sony is struggling to come up with anything interesting to do with these characters. Morbius might seem like one of the more outlandish Spider-Man antagonists, especially because he's a literal vampire and would probably make a bit more sense with someone like, say, Blade, but the character just doesn't work when he's on his own. Venom, at the very least, is a recognizable character for Spider-Man. Morbius, not so much. Overall, Morbius is a terrible film. It makes Spider-Man 3 look like a masterpiece, it makes Twilight look like a great vampire film, and it really shows that, despite the Academy Award, Jared Leto cannot act in a superhero film. This film is only worth watching if you want to see Matt Smith play a bad guy, because Smith plays a bad guy to a T. It's really hard to imagine the same guy who can play the fun-going doctor and the conservative Prince Philip and all of a sudden just play a pure bad guy.
In no way does he save the film, but he does make it enjoyable just for a brief moment or two. Morbius is a bad film and I would not recommend it. Morbius is now in theaters. Back when I first began highlighting fanfic stories, I took a look at Box of Scraps. And how I thought these stories were a bit ridiculous by how in every single one of them, he portrayed Iron Man as some crazy psychopath who simply just went to place, destroyed everything, and left. Basically, a noun a bourbon Iron Man. And after seeing how many times I focus on another writer and their obsession with Garfield the Cat, I decided to go back to Box's scraps and see what else I can find. There has to be one story where he doesn't talk about Iron Man. There isn't. So instead, we're going to highlight three more stories by Box of Scraps. Once again, these stories are all relatively short, so I can read them all out at once. Let's start off with their first story, which is a crossover with Rocky and Bullwinkle. Now, the only thing to know about Rocky and Bullwinkle is that it's about a moose and a squirrel goofing off and occasionally dealing with a couple of bad guys, Boris and Natasha. That, of course, has nothing to do with this story. The story is titled, Hey Again, Rocky. The synopsis reads, Watch me try once more to pull a rabbit out of my hat. Exclamation point. So with that said, let's get to the story, which is, like I said, the entire story. Hey, rookie! Bullwinkle shouted in an arm and leg cast. Watch me try to pull a rabbit out of my hat! Rocky groaned. You tried that before and nearly had it kill you, deep Bullwinkle didn't listen and reached in quickly and pulled out a rabbit for once. Hey, I did it! Iron Man flew in quickly and blasted the two away. I'm Iron Man and no one cares. That joke is so old. Just like this one. Oh well, at least I'm cool. And sexy! Patrick Star shouted as his head popped out from the hat. Iron Man quickly shoved him back in and blasted the hat. That was a moment I never want to experience again. Ever. And like I will be saying for the next few stories, that is literally the entire story. What I see here with Box of Scraps is how they want to set up a punchline, but before they can execute the punchline, they just have to throw in Iron Man to destroy everything. So with that, let's move on to our next story, which in this case is about a TV commercial. Now it might seem weird that I found some fan fiction based on a TV commercial, but let's face it, there's always the possibility that someone will make anything out of, say, a jingle. And here's what we have basically when it comes to Butterfinger. For those unaware, it's a peanut butter chocolate candy bar, essentially being a bunch of crispy peanut butter wrapped up in chocolate. And I will say it's okay, though merely the crispiness really does get into your teeth and it's frankly not one of my favorite candy bars. 
But for a lot of people, you might be more aware of it through The Simpsons, in which one of the classic things about The Simpsons' early run involved Butterfinger's sponsorship of the show, in which it had a ton of commercials with Bart essentially saying, Nobody lays a finger on my Butterfinger. Now, The Simpsons are not in this story, which is titled Butterfinger Bars. In fact, the synopsis just simply says, You know how it goes, no need to explain the slogan. Which in a way is honest, yet at the same time lazy. So let's get to the story by Box of Scraps titled Butterfinger Bars. Hey there, what's there? A random ugly kid said as she walked up to a park bench where a boy was sitting with a candy bar. Hey, I'm not ugly. My mom says I'm a pretty little princess who- Yeah, your mom's a lying hack kid. Moving on with the story. The other kid revealed his... Candy bar and waved it to the girl's face. It's my butterfinger bar and it's all mine, You know why? Because nobody lays a finger on mine. Just then, Iron Man crashed down and took the bar from him. I'm Iron Man and this commercial is so lame. He blasted Tutu away and took a bite, only to spit it out. This tastes like He tossed into the air and blasted it. Then stared at the sky. Okay. Okay, good. No freaky as hell. Planet again. Good. Now to wash this horrible taste out of my mouth with beer. Yay, beer! Iron Man flew away happily. So this fanfic, rather than say parody the Butterfinger ad, instead goes out of his way to mock the characters for their jealousy of the candy bar, and Iron Man to kill them. That's it, that's the whole story. Maybe our last story will be a little bit better, considering it's over 300 words long. This particular story is called Yabba Dabba Doo, and as you can tell, it's a crossover with the Flintstones. The synopsis reads, Everything's so... Stony. It'll make more sense in the story itself, which I think for once could be slightly better by the fact that not only is it a bit longer, but it doesn't exactly end with Iron Man killing everyone. So with that said, let's get to the story. Yabba Dabba Doo! Fred Flintstone happily removed his stone hat and slid down the tail of the dinosaur digging thing, Lanley safely in his car. He pushed the stone time card into the stone time machine and the stone- Everything is made out of freaking stone gods, will be a fun story. Stone every five freaking seconds, where were we? Oh yeah! Fred drove into the stone driveway and his family, along with Dino, hopped into the car. Thus shuffled off to the movie theater and sat and watched as the film was projected on the- You know what, let's mix it up! On the rock screen! Yeah, there we go. But moments later, a figure flew to the screen, shattering the rock. I'm Rockman, and today's movie is cancelled due to death. He held out his hands and blasted the Flintstones to high heaven. Moments later, Iron Man flew down and landed next to Rockman. I'm Iron Man and... Wait, who are you? I'm Rockman. Rockman said, plain and simple. 
You know, the Iron Man of the Flintstone Age. Oh, Iron Man exclaimed, getting it? Rock instead of Iron, cause everything's a pun around here, that's right. Clever. I should kill you, but since you're almost technically me, I think I'll go get drunk somewhere around here instead. Hey, I know just the place, man! Rockman said as he pulled out a flyer for a bar. Freaks are on me! Iron Man raised his mask and placed his arm around Rockman. That's just what I was hoping you'd say! Two blasted off into the sky and headed towards the tavern. Say, what's your real name, just out of curiosity? Tony Slate! Of course it is! Now just to clarify something, he didn't kill everyone. He left his Flintstones counterpart alive. Because he offered him beer. Now I have to admit, this is the better story of the three I've read because it had somewhat of a narrative. Even if at certain points the writer just stopped because he hated all the puns. I have to agree that the Brock puns are a bit annoying, but you at least have to put them in naturally. Don't just force the joke in. And here the writer could have avoided making the stone jokes, but didn't. And of course there's the fact that like with the other box of scrap stories, we barely get to find out anything about the characters before they're killed off. If anything, we found out that in the Flintstones universe there's an Iron Man counterpart, and that's it. So what else is there to say about box of scraps? The stories may be nonsensical, they may all end with Iron Man killing everyone, but still, they're funny. And honestly, I'd rather read a funny short story than some long, elaborate trash. Also, unlike other certain writers I've highlighted, at least they don't portray the character as a loser. Hey again, Rocky, Butterfinger Bars, and Yabba Dabba Doo by Boxes Scraps are able to read on fanfiction.net. Before we wrap up the show, I just want to point out something I promised last weekend, and if you heard the entire show, you probably noticed I didn't bring it up. On last week's episode, I ended by saying that we would focus on plagiarism in fanfiction yet again. Unfortunately, after several attempts at producing a decent segment, I realized it was not up to the quality I attained for this show, and in the end, I had to kill the segment. All I will say about it is that it would have involved yet more stories with the Loud House, as well as stories that were essentially outright rip-offs of both Encanto and Sonic X. And in the end, there just wasn't enough for me to talk about them. With all of that said, that is all the time we have for today's show. If you would like to know when the next episode comes out, remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite stream provider. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at MrJoeGarcia9. Until next time, thank you for listening.